This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. Our reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 24 to 45. God is spirit, Jesus said, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one, speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. After the two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. This is the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I have the privilege of introducing our guest preacher today, my friend David, his wife Erin, and a couple of their kids have come over sea and continent to visit our family this week. And so it's a real special Sunday for us. And I'm just going to Say a few words about Dave and Aaron, and then they will come up and preach for us. It's a special Sunday for me because not only are our friends here and they're visiting and they came all the way out of their way for Thanksgiving to visit our family, but 
These are some of our oldest, oldest living friends. They're not our oldest friends. I mean, longest standing friends. And maybe many of us re relate to this. Our lives as expats living overseas and internationals, many of our relationships are very new and short and chopped up, which there's a beauty to that. And our friends here are very deep as well. But it's a real special treat to have someone that you've known for decades be able to come and visit as I'm sure you would agree. Dave and Aaron are from the US. David grew up in Nebraska, and I met him at college in Philadelphia. And it was God's grace that I happened to invite him to work at our church one summer. And he met Aaron, who I also grew up with at our church and her family there. And he asked me partway through the summer, Eli, I need you to help me stay accountable with Aaron. I said, sure. <laughs> I'll maroon you alone in a room somewhere. Just kidding. They were quite responsible. But it was also God's good pleasure to bring them together. So they've been married. They have five kids and have a wonderful family. And only two of them could be on this trip. Several years later, after I met my wife, Holly, and we got married, we had the privilege of serving with Dave and Aaron for two years in Romania, where they had launched an international English-speaking well, they just went there to start a Bible study, and within three months, it was a church, and they served there for almost 10 years. So for two years, I was leading worship. So if you, if you ever wonder why I like songs with different languages, it might be because I got the bug back then. And so even as Americans, they've been among and ministering among and fellowshipping with people from literally all over the globe and across nations and cultures and languages for a lot of their lives. And that's not something everyone can say and definitely influences their ministry. For the last handful, seven years, God called them back to the U.S. Dave has been one of uh, several pastors at one of my home church that I grew up in, in Maryland. And so we're just really pleased to have them here. So I'm, don't, I'm not asking for like a round of applause, but I just wanted to give you an introduction. And Dave, come on up. And I know you'll probably, uh, why not? I'm going to let Dave pray, but I will also take the chance to say a word of prayer for you. Join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for being with us by your Holy Spirit. I thank you that none of us is more special or more favored than another. And yet you've blessed the body by uniquely gifting each of us in different ways. Thank you for David and Aaron being able to visit with Levi, Anna Gabriel, and I pray that you bless Dave as he speaks, and you open our hearts and ears to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Eli. It's overwhelming to, to stand up in front of an international church again after many years. It's so beautiful to see people from every tongue and nation, many of nations gathered together, one in Christ. It's my understanding that th as a church, you've been going through a series in the Old Testament, seeing ways that the Old Testament points forward to Christ. And if you've been here for some of these excellent sermons, then you'll know how Jonah and how Habakkuk and how Nahum all are pointing forward to the Messiah, the Messiah in Hebrew or in Greek, the, the, the Christos, the Christ, pointing forward to this, this Savior King who was promised to God's people. And so the reason I chose this passage from John chapter 4 is because it continues in the New Testament, it continues this theme of pointing to Christ. 
It shows how the woman at the well responds when she learns, when she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, and she realizes that these prophecies are true. So before we get to the last half of John 4, which was just read for us so well, uh, let me remind you what happened in the first half of John chapter 4. This is a famous passage, but I want to make sure we're all in the same, on the same page. Uh, in the first half of John 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well outside of her town, and she is, he, he speaks with her. And by speaking with her, he smashed through all kinds of religious barriers, all kinds of cultural barriers, all kinds of ethnic barriers, gender barriers. And for her part, the woman starts out by assuming that Jesus is not important to her, that he is a Jewish man who she will never see again. And as their conversation goes on, she first realizes that he is a rabbi, and then she comes to see him as a prophet, and then she comes to see him as the Messiah. And at the very middle of the passage, or the beginning of the passage that was just read, Jesus confirms that. He says, I am, I who speak to you am he, I am the Messiah, the Savior of the world. So in this passage that we just read, we see four invitations, four invitations to first from the woman, then from the disciples, then an invitation from Jesus himself, and then an invitation from the townspeople, all inviting towards something that, that revolves around Jesus. And each of these invitations gives us a chance to lift our eyes up from the urgent to the eternal. So we'll look at each of these together. And let me just say, because... I, I preach, but I also sit in the congregation. I'm going to spend a lot more time on the first invitation than the rest of them. So we'll spend more time there, and then we'll move quickly through the other three. So let, let's pray again for God's blessing as we come to this passage. Gracious Father, we, as we come to this text, there are many things competing for our attention. Maybe yesterday's mistakes, today's worries, tomorrow's hopes. Father, help us to trust those to you and to give all our heart and all our mind and all our strength to your word for us today as you speak to us through scripture. Shine light onto this text by the power of your Holy Spirit and use it to change us as we come face to face with Jesus as someone who loves those who are outcast, those who are on the margins of society and face to face with Jesus as the savior of the world. It's in his name we live it's in his name we pray. Amen. I said four invitations. The first of these invitations comes from the Samaritan woman, and it's simple. She says, come and see. In verse 29, she says, come and see. I want you to meet this man who I just met, this Jesus. Come meet Jesus. That's the invitation from the Samaritan woman. Can this be the Christ? But just before that, we see not everyone is thrilled about what just happened. In verse 27, the disciples have been in town buying food, uh, and they come back to the well, and they see Jesus at the well speaking with this woman, and they are shocked. And John records that he remembers having two questions. What does Jesus want, and why is he speaking to her? So John and the disciples were offended and surprised because we're told earlier in, in this chapter that the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jews did not interact with Samaritans at all. So they're wondering why he's talking to her. And we see, we understand this, that, that Samaritans, from a Jewish perspective, Samaritans were 
a mixed race. They were half Jew, half Gentile, and the Jews believed they had married an idolatrous people, people who were worshipped idols, that they had stolen Jewish lands, and that they had created their own corrupted version of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so the disciples wonder, why is Jesus talking to her? Even more so, the disciples were surprised that Jesus was speaking with a woman because in that day, Jewish rabbis did not speak with women at all in public. And so you have this surprise, and certainly not a woman who's been divorced five times and who's now living with another man. So they are shocked as they see this. Jesus was perfectly happy and willing to cross all these cultural barriers to speak with this woman and so that she could hear these words of life. But the disciples are shocked. and They see a sinful woman from a hated religious and racial group, and her sexual lifestyle is outside the norms that are accepted in that society. And so they don't say anything, but we see that they, are, they must have been just showing their disapproval. Because it says there's this little word in between verses 27 and 28. It says, so. It's a, it's, a, it's a result clause. It's saying that the disciples come back, and as a result of the disciples coming back in verse 27, she leaves. Verse 28, and she, and she goes. Thinking about that interaction makes me wonder, without knowing any of you, I was welcomed nicely, but I wonder if a woman like this came into TICF next week, Someone from, from outside, someone who is maybe involved in things that don't look acceptable. Would she experience some kind of unspoken criticism and leave and never come back? Or would she be warmly welcomed? Or would she meet Jesus here? Would she receive life and become a sister and be welcomed in? I suspect it's the latter, but we can all ask ourselves, can I be part of that? Can I be part of offering that welcome? Can I be part of the invitation to say, come, meet my friend, Jesus? Jesus smashed through barriers to communicate love, and loving her, he brought her to the truth. Truth and love. Thankfully, the woman's motive was not only to escape the disciples. As we read on in the, in the chapter, we see in verse 29, there's, a, there's an imperative, there's a command. She wants to invite her the townspeople to come and meet Jesus. So she says, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? In John 1, Philip says the same thing to Nathaniel, who was skeptical about Jesus. Nathaniel says, I don't know. And he says, come and see. You've got to meet him. And this is really important as we think about bringing people to, to meet Jesus. Notice the woman's lifestyle, probably her life hasn't changed visibly in any way, uh, but her heart has. And so God is pleased to use her as the first evangelist to the Samaritans and to bring about this massive change. There was a Scottish theologian who said it well. He said, never undervalue weak instrumentality. What does it mean? A weak instrument. Never undervalue a weak instrument. God can use a broken woman. He can use a broken pastor. He can use a broken you. He, are you divorced? Maybe. So was she. Are you outside the circles of power? So was she. Are you so ashamed about your life that you try to avoid social interaction? So is she. No one went to the well in the middle of the day, but she's there in the heat of the day trying to avoid seeing anyone. God can use you. God can use you. We are instruments in the Redeemer's hand, so we don't undervalue weak instruments because the power doesn't come from the instruments. The power comes from the hands of the one who holds those instruments, from God himself. Amen? Look with me again at verse 29. This woman wants everyone she knows to come and meet Jesus. And it's a simple invitation, but, but it's clever. In the original Greek, there's a, 
negative particle that shows that she's expecting them to be skeptical. She's expecting them to doubt the, what she's about to say. And so she shows that, but because of that, she doesn't lecture them. Instead, she asks a question. Look, at, look, look there and see. She says, could this be the Christ? And questions are such a great way to shortcut, short-circuit defensiveness, to invite people into a conversation. There's a whole book by an American author, Randy Newman. It's called Questioning Evangelism, but the, the point of it is using questions to share the good news about Jesus. And she does that here. She says, this man told me everything about me. Could he be? Come and see. It's such a winsome invitation in. We also see from this woman how powerful it is for someone from their, inside their own culture to give that invitation and to explain it to the people who they know. For many years, I read this sentence where she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And I thought the point was that it was, she was just describing Jesus's power. He's so powerful. He knows everything. But it helps to understand. Then I came to understand that the there was a difference between how Samaritan people understood the coming Messiah and how the Jewish people understood the coming Messiah. That by and large, Jewish people saw the Messiah as a, as a with coming with kingly power. But the Samaritans, had a, they called the Messiah Taheb, which means a, a prophet restorer, someone like Moses. And so they, the Samaritan concept of Messiah emphasized prophetic knowledge. It emphasized that this, would be, this, this Messiah would be a prophet who would, who would know and who would therefore be able to restore. And so think about what she says now. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He knows he's the one. She didn't have to think about that. She didn't have to read books about evangelism. She didn't have to do any of that. She just had to say what resonated in her own heart. And, and that resonated with the people in her village as well. And they said, oh, maybe he could be. You see this power, and, and it works. The verse 30 says the townspeople went out of the town and were coming to him. As a cultural insiders can speak powerfully in their own idiom. And part of the reason I started to get choked up and cry when I first came up here is because I'm looking at all of you and wondering how many different cultures, how many different nations are represented in this room? I don't know. You, some of you probably know, but many, many. And each of you have a chance to go back to your own table at home, to go back to your neighborhood, perhaps to go back someday to your nation or to others like you in this city and to share good news. Good news. And at the same time, all of us have a chance also to do what Jesus did here with the woman, to cross cultural barriers and to bring the message of good news. And so these two things fit together in an amazing way. Each of us have the, if we are in Christ, we have the words of life. We have the best thing we could possibly offer so go tell your friend how great the movie was this weekend, but also tell them something else, how great Jesus is. Come meet my friend, Jesus. And you can offer your, the best cultural, your own culture's best version of that invitation in a way that makes sense. Okay, there's so much here, but uh, she, one last thing. This, she's, she shows it's urgent. She leaves the water jar behind. It's too heavy to carry. She can't bother with that. She just wants to run back to the village. She says, this is important. This is urgent. I have to go get them. I have to bring them here before he leaves and tell them so they can meet him. News to share. That's the first invitation, come and see. Second invitation, the disciples in verse 31, the disciples invite Jesus. They say, Rabbi, come and eat. Come and eat. 
While the woman is away in town inviting the people to, to come and meet Jesus, the disciples are inviting him to come and eat. And, and we could talk a long time about this, but the very fact that they are inviting Jesus, who we learn from the rest of Scripture, is not only a man or a rabbi at the well, but he is God in human flesh. He is God incarnate who took on fullness of God. And they say, come eat. This is an astonishing thing that, that God identifies with his people in these ways. Uh, but Jesus does not dwell on that. In verse 32, he says to them, I have food you know nothing about. And they look around at each The disciples are so funny. They just miss it all the time. But they look around at each other and say, did someone else run to McDonald's first and bring him, bring him some food back? Who brought him food? No. Jesus says, my food, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish all his work. For Jesus, physical food matters, but it's secondary to completing the mission of this father who sent him into the world as, yes, as prophet, but also as savior and as king. Maybe you have things like this. My wife loves to garden and sometimes she'll be happy to skip a meal to spend more time with her flowers or her vegetables. Maybe some of you kids have this. Maybe you'd be happy to skip. If your parents didn't remind you, you might skip a meal for extra screen time or for extra time with your books or something you love, sports, something like that. Jesus says, my thing is to do the will of the Father. My thing is that people would know him because that is the best thing possible. That's invitation two, come and eat. Invitation three, lift up your eyes to the harvest. So Jesus says, I have this mission. And now the third invitation is he invites the disciples. He says, I want to invite you to be part of this mission too. Lift up your eyes and see there's a harvest. The fields are white for harvest. I think it's possible. In fact, I think it's likely that as Jesus did this in verse 35 and 36, Jesus sees the Samaritans walking across the fields from the town. And he says, look, the fields are white for harvest. Here they come. You thought this wheat's going to be harvested in four months. These people are here to be brought into the kingdom today. And he invites them to be part of that. Now, think about his grace. Think about God's grace here. What did the disciples just do? They just were so judgmental of this woman and so uninterested in Jesus' work in the woman's life that they completely drove her away. So how gracious is Jesus then? Jesus says, another chance. You have another chance. I want you to be part of my work. He says that to you too. You did some, maybe you messed something completely up this day, this week, last year. He's inviting you in his grace to be part of his work. And as soon as we receive his grace ourselves, we immediately can extend it to others. And that is what happens here in this passage. Lift up your eyes to the harvest. In verses 35 and, and 36, Jesus is using a, a physical reality of harvest to point to a deeper spiritual truth. He is showing in the physical harvest, a farmer sows seed and he waits several months while the seed grows. And then he goes and he harvests the, the crop. But in, in this new creation, in Jesus' new era, seeds can sprout immediately. Jesus plants the seed, it sprouts, and it's ready for the harvest. The prophet Amos, I don't know if you've done, have you done Amos yet? Yeah, okay. So the prophet Amos foresaw this. Hundreds of years earlier, he said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the, plow, the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows the seed. What does it mean? 
He's saying Amos saw a day when the land would be so productive that as soon as the seed went in the ground, it would grow. And as soon as it grew, it would be harvested. And as soon as it was harvested, seed would go again like that. And so he saw a day when, when this would happen. And Jesus says the harvest that was anticipated there has come not with wheat or with grapes, but with souls. And, and the harvest is plentiful fruit for eternal life, he says. So who are the sowers and the reapers? We see in verse 36 to 38, the sowers and the reapers. Jesus tells the disciples, they get to reap. They get to harvest what others have, have planted. But of course, the ancient prophet, prophets had planted messianic expectations that were in these people's minds. Jesus planted, Jesus planted by crossing cultural barriers with truth and love earlier in chapter 4. And then the woman planted, she sowed seeds to her own people in verse 29. And so you see this chain of planting and preparing and getting ready. And we don't know where we fall in that chain, do we? As, we? as we share with others, if you know Christ, you have the chance to do this, to sow a seed. You may be in the place of the prophets where you'll be praying for a very long time and you don't see the, you don't see the harvest. You may be as Jesus did, where, where he sows a seed and very shortly he sees change in the person's life and then another generation of a harvest from her. Or you may be like the Samaritan woman who sows a seed and sees immediate results. There's a scripture, I think in 1 Corinthians, it says that some plant and some water, but God gives the growth. And so ultimately it's in God's hands when this will happen. But it's a good reminder that, that salvation can come immediately or slowly. When he was young, a man named George Mueller met three men, and his diaries show that he prayed for them, every, all three of them, every day throughout his entire life, that they would know Christ, that they would meet Christ, Jesus Christ. And when he died, not one of them had. All of them still did not know the Lord. But they all outlived him, and before each of them died, each of them came to know the Lord. It's an amazing thing. It's a great encouragement to keep praying and keep inviting our sister or our brother or our friend to meet Jesus. Some plant, some water, but God gives the growth. We're invited to be part of the harvest as an urgent priority. An urgent priority. We can, and we can make mistakes in a couple of different ways. On the one hand, we can make a mistake by only feeding ourselves and never working. For, for, to, to share about Christ. But on the other hand, I think many of you may be in the other camp where you could be sharing and working all the time and not being fed, not being, being receiving from the Lord on a daily basis all, the, all that you need. And so either way, it's important to remember that all feeding and no work gives spiritual indigestion, but all work and no, no feeding could lead to starvation. But either way, we, need to, we could miss out on the joy of seeing people enter eternal life. So we need to lift up our eyes to the harvest, not ignore the daily concerns, but not put them as the priority above all things. That's what I'm trying to say. And then the fourth invitation. So we saw, come and see Jesus. Come meet my friend Jesus. We saw the disciples invite Jesus to eat and him lift their eyes. We saw him invite to be part of the harvest. Fourth invitation, we see the Samaritans invite Jesus into their village, their culture, their homes, and their lives. What an amazing thing. In verse 40, they invite Jesus to stay with them, and, just, and he stayed there for, for two days, and many more believed, verse 41, because of his word. 
And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So the fourth invitation, they invite Jesus to stay with them. This is incredible. Remember, if you go back in chapter 4, verse 9, it says that Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. But what's not said is the opposite, which is also true. Samaritans had no dealings with Jews. And so one hour before this woman came to the village, none of them would have spoken to this man, let alone invited him into their, into their homes and into their lives. How does this happen? How did it happen? First, Jesus crossed cultural and religious barriers with truth and love. And second, but then he didn't go to the village himself. Let me ask you a question. Would Jesus have been a better evangelist than the Samaritan woman? This is not a trick question. What do you think? Yes. Yes, he would have. Let me ask you another question. Did he go himself or did he send her? He sent her, or at least he let her go, knowing that she would. What does that mean? It means that on the one hand, there's a crossing of of cultural barriers and bringing good news to others. It also means that God has a place for letting those who are are inside their own peoples to, to go. What an amazing, amazing thing. And we see the woman shares her testimony in verse 39. The gospel comes to us, but it's not meant to stay with us. It's meant to move through us. Comes to us to move through us. And she shares her testimony. And she points them to Jesus as the hero of the story. He's the one who exposed her sin, but he's the one who gave her life in its place. And by doing that, she invites her friends in the town to do the same. So the idea of going out to meet a Jewish rabbi only became possible for the townspeople because of an urgent invitation from someone they knew. The idea of maybe coming into a building like this on your day off or a time when you could be doing schoolwork or be with your family or something only becomes plausible to many people because of an urgent invitation from someone they know. Maybe you get to be part of that, an invitation, extending an invitation to to others. But testimonies alone are not enough. The idea that Jesus was their savior only came to them because they got to know him. And so that's a reminder. We need to bring people to Jesus himself. That may be obvious, but sometimes we try to bring people to a church culture or to a political party or to some other thing. We need to bring people to Jesus himself. Sometimes we try to bring people to a clever personality or a great intellect or to something beautiful or sparkling. We need to bring people to Jesus himself. And they met him as, as prophet and they came to know him as Messiah and they proclaimed him as Savior. And so verse 42 has this, this shocking end to a shocking passage. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans felt the same way. And yet in verse 42, we read, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves And we know this is indeed the Savior of the Samaritans. Is that what it said? No. What does it say? This is indeed the, yes, this is indeed the Savior of the world. That is astounding that they come to know Jesus as the Savior, not just of the Samaritans, but also the Savior of the Jews and also the Savior of the world, Savior of all. They they get it. And it was a few more years before Jews and Gentiles began to worship together, but they did. And in fact, when you read the book of Acts, you see that after Jesus' death and resurrection, 
Philip, who was a Jew, went into Samaria and he began to proclaim this good news. And eventually many of the Samaritans began to believe. And the apostles came and prayed for them. And these Samaritan Christians received the Holy Spirit and eventually began worshiping Jew and Gentile together. What an amazing, amazing thing. God can break down the walls that no human can break down. Amen? You all perhaps are proof of that here today. So let's end by asking a question. Which of these invitations is for you? Which is for you? For some of you, you are being invited tonight to come and meet Jesus. I'll give you that invitation. (laughs) Come meet my friend, Jesus. Here he is. He is wonderful. And you need to find out more. You need to realize he's not just an idea. He's not just a historical figure, although he was a man from history. He's more than that. He is a living person. He rose from the dead. He's a person you can know. He's a person in, in whom you can have a relationship with God himself. Come meet Jesus. Maybe like the disciples, some of you are here and there are people in your life who you have no dealings with. And you see these kind of people and you say, why would I talk to them? I was talking with Eli about this and he said a great phrase. He said, there's a dividing line of hostility that runs through every human heart. It's there in all of us. And maybe it's people from certain cultures. Maybe it runs down the middle of your dining room table and it's someone from your family. But Jesus can break down these walls and the Holy Spirit who lives in us can give us power. So we remember that, we, that he has broken down these walls in his own flesh. And we can come together and worship across nationalities, across cultural differences, across ways of speaking different preferences, and everything else. And may he be glorified here. May he continue to be glorified here. For others, the invitation is this. I hope that for others, the the invitation tonight is an encouragement to cross cultural barriers, maybe other barriers with the gospel, with the good news, with the words of life, just as Jesus did here. And still again, for others, I hope this passage is an encouragement to invite people from your own culture to come and meet this man, Jesus, who has changed your life who has forgiven your sin, who gives you peace with God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we we don't just want to be hearers of your word. We want to be doers also. Help us to hear these invitations and these these commands and, and, and to respond. Father, I pray for those here who do not know Jesus as he truly is. I pray that they would come near to him and find true hope in him true forgiveness in him, to find true love in him. I pray for those who feel like outsiders, that they would experience his hospitality, that they would experience his love. I pray for those who have gotten stuck, who feel worried about daily bread or the next meal or financial woes or or something else, to hear this call to lift up our eyes, that they would that they would receive your provision, but also join in sharing your good news with the world. God, I pray for any person here whose Christianity is small, individual, tribal, clan, like for a clan only, to join the Samaritans in proclaiming Jesus, not just as the Savior of me, myself, and I, not just as the Savior of my people, but as the Savior of the whole world, of all nations. Be glorified in our lives every day and every way as we live the power by the power of your spirit to the glory of your name. Amen.
This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for listening.